Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4X L, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. Me Undies, comfort from the outside in. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. Uh, this is Alicia calling from Maine. And thanks so much for the amazing podcast. I think it's really gotten me through a lot of tough times. Um, I think right now our community of listeners and readers is really struggling with J.K. Rowling's statements and horrific behavior. Um, One of the things that I do with my therapist, and I identify as gender non-binary slash maybe trans, I don't really know, it's part of why I go to therapy, um, is we have an exercise um, called The Safe Place, which is a meditation about imagining a safe place that you can kind of return to maybe after we've talked about some heavy stuff during a session. Um, and for me, my safe place for a long time was the Gryffindor common room. And I think it's important to recognize that that's an imaginary space and that lots of queer folks and trans folks may not feel that safe in the real world. And gosh, I wonder why. And right now that's not necessarily a space that I feel safe in because of JK Rowling and her terrible behavior and opinions. So 
I just want to offer a blessing to to folks who are feeling like Hogwarts is not a safe space right now. Like these books are not a safe place for me. They've always felt that way. And I think each time something like this comes up, it really jars me and I'm not really sure what to do. And it's always a challenge. So I, I wish that it wasn't a problem that we had to deal with. And I appreciate this community's support for trans folks. Um, and I just hope that we can get through it together. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Hello, dear Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Our Post. As many of you will know, on June 6th of this year, 2020, J.K. Rowling tweeted another anti-trans message and then dug in her heels with an extended essay a few days later, really going further in her transphobia and, and has been using Twitter as a platform to keep hammering her message home. J.K. Rowling has an enormous platform and a very, very widespread influence. And her transphobic speech, this essay in particular, which is articulate, but extremely misinformed and honestly manipulative, not only unleashes people with transphobic views to speak very loudly, but also shields transphobic policies. And I think for a lot of people like me who are cisgendered, who are not trans or non-binary, Unless you're learning about why that essay is based on fiction, not fact, and we'll talk we'll talk about that in a moment, it can be quite persuasive. And so it's really important for us that we're clear that in our community that we stand with our trans and non-binary listeners and that we we speak out against J.K. Rowling's transphobic speech. We have heard from a lot of cisgender women who have expressed concern for how harshly we have condemned J.K. Rowling. And they have pointed out to us that from their perspective, J.K. Rowling is not being hateful. What she is is scared. And I just, I want to directly address my fellow cis women. And I am a, a scared cis woman, but we know historically that misplaced fear can lead to hate especially of vulnerable populations. And so we feel comfortable living up to one of the norms of our company now, which is the first two norms of our company are one, to always assume good intentions, and two, to listen with the ears of the most vulnerable person who could possibly be hearing us. And even if we live up to that first norm of assuming the best of intentions in J.K. Rowling, that she is a victim of domestic abuse who's afraid of men invading her space, we are still comfortable condemning her words and the choices that she has made to not educate herself more fully on this, to share half-truths, to amplify the voices of transphobic people. We still feel comfortable saying that we would like to side rather with one of the most marginalized groups in the world and one of the most at-risk groups in the world than with a multi-multi-millionaire with one of the loudest megaphones in the world. I know that for a lot of people who have loved the Harry Potter series, there's just enormous grief here. 
Grief that a series that has brought so much tolerance and love and safety and encouraged so many of us to stand for justice and to support those at the margins was written by someone who clearly can be so hateful. And I know that there's also anger in there. There's exhaustion. You know, this was not the first kind of anti-trans tirade that we've seen from J.K. Rowling. And so we know that there is a heady and painful cocktail of emotions going on for so many people in our community. And and also for us, it's raised really big questions about how we can engage this text in this time. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So Vanessa, one of the things that's really important, I think, for us to do is, is to talk through some of the reasons why J.K. Rowling's essay in particular was misinformed and was manipulative. So let's dig into some of the, the many errors that are so damaging in what she's written and said. So first, we want to say that trans rights are a threat to no one. More rights for one person does not mean less rights for another person. And in fact, the opposite is true. When we have more rights, we can all move more freely and all of our humanity is lifted up by that. If a trans woman has rights, I as a cis woman do not therefore have fewer rights. Rights are not a finite resource. They are not a scarce resource. And we have to approach rights with that mindset. Secondly, the biggest claim that J.K. Rowling makes in her essay, which is the most troubling, is that she has set up this false argument. She is saying the thing that trans people don't understand is that biological sex is real. Trans people do not dispute that biological sex is real. They are actually keenly aware of that fact. They just know that in addition to biological sex being real, being assigned a male or a female or an intersex person at birth, those biological sex realities, that those are different from gender, that sex and gender are different. And J.K. Rowling is creating a completely false argument by saying that transgender people don't believe that biological sex is real because, of course, they do. They are probably more aware than cis people who are biological sex and are gender are aligned enough that it's just the water we swim in, whereas for trans people, they are keenly aware of that difference. This is something she does over and over again in the essay is kind of take something that sounds reasonable and then really twist it so that you end up thinking that trans rights are a threat. I mean, she's an excellent writer, so she's she's really good at being very manipulative with her words. One of the things that she does that was particularly troubling to me was that essentially kind of describing the abuse that she has received from allies of trans people and also from trans people online, that kind of harassment as an excuse for the transphobic speech that she's saying, and also to to kind of mask the initial harassment that she has been putting out there and making space for, importantly, because of her platform. And I want to be clear, you know, Vanessa and I absolutely agree with J.K. Rowling's capacity to speak freely. I think that's important. And (laughs) it means that we also get to speak really freely. And, And because of her platform, I think it becomes all the more important that all of us stand up to that speech that does so much damage. I think the best way I've heard it said is that freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequences. Speech that is hurtful, speech that is honestly extremely dangerous, deserves to be fastidiously countered at every step. And I'll just say, I was really hurt as a woman that she was using the horrible fact that she was a victim of domestic abuse to set up all of these straw man arguments. 
almost every woman I know has experienced some form of sexual assault or sexual misconduct or domestic abuse. And it's horrible, right? But being a victim of those do not justify putting other people in danger. And that is what J.K. Rowling is doing. She's validating false information and she is fear-mongering to people who don't understand what being trans is. And she is weaponizing the ignorance of people who don't know what transness is and helping them justify ignorance as hate or ignorance as fear. And if we do that, if we allow her to keep doing that, to be validating ignorance and validating unfounded fears about things that we just simply don't understand, then people will be afraid to legalize correct gender use of bathrooms or to offer proper health care and protections for trans and non-binary people. Yeah. And I think the thing that makes me so sad is it's not like she hasn't had opportunities to learn. You know, I think certainly when her first tweets were coming out that were transphobic, there were a lot of readers and lovers of the Harry Potter books who were doing their best to educate her, who, you know, assumed best intentions, who shared resources and who who were very compassionate and gentle And it's this digging in and this anger and this cruelty that just feels so hurtful. Even if if you don't, as a cis person, go out and educate yourself, I would hope that a, a compassion towards people who are most marginalized, most likely to suffer violence, most excluded, most terrorized, that you would listen to those voices and follow what they have to say, even if you cannot understand that your compassion would lead you. And it's it's just not what she's done. And it, it's unleashing a normalizing of, of transphobia that is horribly frightening. Yeah. And another troubling part of the letter is how she continuously paints people who are transphobic or like people who actively seek to tear trans people down as victims And trans people and trans allies as bad actors that we need to be suspicious of. Like she says that Maya Forrester was simply trying to do this reasonable thing of say that biological sex is real. That is not what Maya Forrester was doing. Maya Forrester was intentionally misgendering colleagues, which in Britain, the state recognizes your gender So the judge said that by misgendering somebody, Maya was not recognizing a protected part of their identity. J.K. Rowling would have you believe that Maya was fired because of an internal belief that she has that biological sex is real and that she was oppressed for having that very reasonable belief. Well, she wasn't fired. She didn't have her contract renewed. And it wasn't for that belief. It was for the fact that she was misgendering someone and making them feel unsafe at work for a protected part of their identity. And Rowling does this again and again. She doesn't cite any of her sources. She doesn't link to an article about Maya Forrester. She doesn't link to any scientific article saying that trans people don't think that biological sex is real. She doesn't link to anything. She just makes these wild claims that factually misrepresents multiple studies. And we just want to say that the scientific consensus is that the trans experience is real and valid. Doctors and scientists overwhelmingly say that the trans experience is real and valid. 
And what you say is really important about the lack of any sort of academic research, any sort of scientific studies, right? Her, her essay is empty of the kind of evidence base that we would need for a rational conversation. And there is no link between trans-inclusive policies and bathroom safety, right? There is no evidence that cis men have, have gained access to women-only spaces by pretending to be trans, right? She's, she's putting these arguments out there and they're sort of laced within the story of science. And it's so damaging. And we see the same thing in race, right? This, this idea that there, if you go back to the 19th century, right, there are five different races and the white race is on top. It's absolutely nuts. And it's a, a false narrative that uses the language of science to make it seem rational and, and okay. And it's not. Yeah. And more recently in American history, we've seen this, right? There was a hypersexualization of black male bodies that was used to justify redlining and segregation and lynching in the name of, you know, quote unquote, like protecting white female bodies, right? We know that making broad false claims that sound scientific about a whole population like trans people or black men or whatever the population is, that that can really put people at risk, right? And so we know the way that this goes. We've seen it in history and we see it now. So here's the thing. <laughs> From the beginning of this podcast, we have been very clear that we are not interested in authorial intent, right? Like this is a sacred reading of a, of a text. It has nothing to do with what the author wanted, and nonetheless, by reading the Harry Potter books and investing in this text and in this world, we have contributed to supporting J.K. Rowling and filling her coffers. And so we've really done some thinking about how we can, as a podcast, at least continue this season without further enriching J.K. Rowling and supporting her transphobia. So Vanessa, as CEO of Not Sorry Productions. Will you take us through some of the decisions that we've made as an organization to do our best to be responsible members of the fandom and support our beloved non-binary and trans listeners and allies? We know that we're going to do a couple of things. First, we know that we are no longer going to be financially supporting JK Rowling in any way. And we have done so in the past. We, we honestly haven't done so recently because it has started to feel icky to us even just in the past year. But two years ago, we went to Orlando and did an event where we went to the Harry Potter Park. And we will not be doing that anymore. And, you know, longer than that, whenever it was that the first Fantastic Beasts movie came out, we did an episode on Fantastic Beasts. But we didn't do an episode on the second movie because we felt really gross about the casting things and the way that J.K. Rowling talked about the casting of Johnny Depp. But we are going to really make an intention of making sure that we are not financially supporting her. And we think that capitalism and voting with our dollars is one of the right ways to do that. Something else that we're doing is we know that we need to take a step back and decide if we want to continue our relationship with Harry Potter past this season. And to be honest, we just still very much don't know. So Casper, as you know, you are leaving us after we do this read through. So that, that'll be, you know, in spring of 2021. And the plan was that the fantastic priest friend and professor Matt Potts was going to be joining us then. And that is still very much an option. But we've been in conversation with Matt and internally about whether we think that that's still the right thing to do. We definitely want to finish the series, but it's always been obvious to us that these books are problematic, that there isn't good representation, that 
house elves are really, really strange metaphor for slavery and an insidious one. We've always known that they're icky, but now that she's revealed this ability to so persistently go after a vulnerable population, it really just makes the whole text seem more toxic. And again, as our norms are not to hurt the most vulnerable people, the idea that we would be hurting people by doing these books again is, is feels really risky to us. But at the same time, you know, one of the gifts of my life is this community. And one of the gifts of my life is having the opportunity to sit and talk with brilliant friends about the Harry Potter books and make meaning of them. And sacred texts are always incredibly, incredibly flawed. And so it's a question of whether we should do it again, whether we should do it very differently if we do do it again. But the thing we know is that if we decide to do these books again, to start at book one, chapter one with Matt, that it won't look exactly the same. We think a new level of critique needs to be added along with our sacredness, you know, just like we would with the Bible and say, we don't like this part of Leviticus. And what's the historical context for this part of Leviticus that, you know, says that homosexuality is a sin? So we know that something will be different, but really we want to hear from you. We we really want a sense from our community as to whether you think that we should do this again, because because it impacts you, right? We We are doing this I don't want to say we're doing this for you because it's not a favor. We love it, but we're not doing it just entirely for ourselves. So we want to hear from you. The final thing I want to say just in this whole conversation is that I know we responded immediately on social media, but it took us a little while before we put something in the feed as we're doing now. And that did not go unnoticed. Uh, Of course, we had these bigger conversations going on in the background, but we received a really generous and important email from trans and non-binary listeners who had had self-organized in the listener common room, which was amazing, who were saying, you know, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you not speaking out more directly on this? It's important that you do. And so I really really want to say on behalf of all of us, thank you to all of you for self-organizing that. And I'm sorry that we were not more clear in the feed about what was going on behind the scenes. And one of the things that they asked of us, which was very important and very wise, was to have a trans voice uh, to respond to the situation. And so we're so thrilled to have our friend Jackson Bird, who's been a a guest before on the show, uh, back to talk about these big questions together. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. So today we are lucky enough to be joined once again by Jackson Bird. Jack is a YouTuber, a speaker, the former director of Wizard and Muggle Relations at the Harry Potter Alliance. He has an incredible book called Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place, and an incredible TED Talk called How to Talk and Listen to Transgender People. Jack also has a great YouTube channel. Jack is not a bird and is on the daily podcast, which sounds incredible, The Good News Ride Home. Jack, thank you so much for coming back on our show and talking to us about this really difficult topic of J.K. Rowling sucking. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having me. I guess I do wish it were maybe under better circumstances, but thank you so much for having me again. Well, so first, we just want a sense from you about like, how are you feeling, right? As somebody who has been a vocal fan of Harry Potter and as someone who's been so vocal about being transgender and transgender rights, how are you feeling in this moment upon which we have this sort of new tweet and then new statement from J.K. Rowling exposing once again just the depths of her transphobia? Yeah, well, I think I think that's the key is the essay exposing the depths of her transphobia because we've been dealing in small blips with this for a while, growing and growing, you know, the hints of the transphobia and before that, lots of other problematic things with cultural appropriation, et cetera. Mm. And so nothing has been a a shock, I would say. If If I ever felt shock, it would have been in December with some of those tweets. But I think after that, 
you know, when I saw this next round of tweets a few weeks ago, I just felt tired. I was like done with it. I was annoyed. I was like, really? Are you like, you're really doing this in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of at, at that time, you know, some of the first days of the protest for Black Lives Matter. It was like, there are so right. many more effective ways, right? Just as, as one of the most influential people in the world, this is how you're choosing to use your platform. And what really got me too was like her first tweet. The article was about providing aid to people during the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this was your takeaway was to complain about the headline and now go on this transphobic tirade. Can we talk about priorities for a second? Yeah, she didn't even know how to read an article. But what about in light of her longer statement? How would you say that you've been feeling after that? That's I mean, the statement was very hard to read, um, just full of, you know, so many dog whistles from that ideology and so much misinformation. And, you know, speaking of media literacy, again, nothing cited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's just like very clearly um, using her very impressive rhetoric to try to get a certain argument across. It was very, very frustrating. And that was when I really gave up any hope. Um, I think in December, I still thought, you know, maybe there's a chance she's been living in this rich person bubble and hasn't been exposed to a lot of views and, you know, has maybe fallen down this like internet rabbit hole into some misled ideas. And, you know, if we just have a conversation and I know she was saying no to Glad and everyone reaching out to conversations, but I still had hope. But then when I saw this, was it 3600 word essay, it hurt on a personal level as a trans person, as a Harry Potter fan, but it also is scary because of her influence and because, you know, that particular ideology has worked over the decades to be very talented at kind of double speak. And if you aren't familiar, you could easily read that whole essay and not quite see anything wrong with it. And I have seen a ton of people supporting her. Um, and also just knowing, you know, how much money she's given to charities over the years. What if she starts giving to these organizations and just like the the power that can be in that in that negative way, but then also just all of the the trans people out there seeing what she has to say and how that's hurting them and the pain that so many of of them must be in. It's it's just it's so many bad feelings in swirling inside of me. Yeah, I, I mean, wh- one of the big questions that I think all of us, <laughs> you know, in the fandom who who play either an organizing or a leadership role, have been asking ourselves is, in light of the pain and the hurt that she has caused. Like, is there an ethical responsibility to question our continued creation in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, even if it's not directly buying (laughs) goods that are making her money? But we're still we're in this visionary world that she has given us for which, you know, for many, many years we've been so grateful. But now it's so tinged with knowing Mm -hmm. that people we love and and our you know fellow human beings are being attacked in this way. Like, what do we do ethically now? I mean, that is that that is a, a big question. And, you know, I think as as someone who feels a responsibility to this community, that's a, a really tough question for me. And right now it's unless I am talking about why what she has said is wrong. I'm kind of not talking about Harry Potter. You know, I some some like Harry Potter clever joke came into my head the other day and I almost tweeted it. And I was like, no, I, people don't mm. want to see that on their timeline right now. You know, a lot just people don't want to see anything Harry Potter related. I do not envy you know, my, my colleagues at the Harry Potter Alliance or you two or, you know, any, anyone who's working in the Harry Potter fan community, because uh, especially my background being from marketing, I know if I were working at the HPA right now, I would feel obligated to be putting out tweets about Harry Potter and no one wants to see that. And so, you know, trying to figure out how do we engage with that? 
you know, the fan community has always been such a huge part of my life. And that's absolutely where I want to put my focus now. And, you know, just sort of focus any of my, my love for the series is on the community and what fans have created over the years and the the people that I have met, the values that I've learned from the community. But even doing that is, is a little bit tough, you know, just like trying to get dressed every day, more than half of my t-shirts are the <laughs> Harry Potter things. And like, you know, hardly any of them are official merchandise. They're, they're made by fans, but it's still like I, you know, if I go out for a walk, I'm not super going out in the world right now, but if I go out for a walk, I don't want someone to see me with a Gryffindor t-shirt and think that I'm supporting her transphobia. Yeah, the personal questions and the ethical questions feel so different to me because at at, at some point accidentally I personally became a a chaplain with a congregation whose text is Harry Potter. And the reason behind this whole experiment was that Casper and I feel as though the traditional church does not make space for all the people who we want to be in community with, that atheists or queer people or or any number of people, right? They don't feel welcome within the church. And so we wanted to create a welcoming space where everybody was welcome. And the fact that Harry Potter has now become that same space, that same hurtful space where certain people don't feel welcome. Part of me just wants to quit and be like, do you know what? There's no perfect place. I'm going to find places like in my life, I treat Jane Eyre as sacred and Jane Eyre is old enough that the fact that it is racist and patriarchal and horrible on mental health issues is at least something I can deal with with some historical forgiveness. But, you know, J.K. Rowling is like still tweeting and still problematizing it. And then I was on the phone earlier today with a palliative care pediatric oncologist. And for him, like the one text that he can talk to parents who are about to lose their children and children who are dying about together is Harry Potter. And like that has been the beauty of Harry Potter for these last five years that we've been working on it, right, is the ubiquity. The fact that no matter where you are in the world, those colors mean Ravenclaw, that that tattoo means Deathly Hallows, right, like that we can communicate across these things. And I'm just wondering, like, your thoughts is just like a thoughtful, brilliant person who carries all of this with them in, in your daily life. Like, we've known, as you've said, right, that it is racist and that it is weird about house elves and that she's culturally appropriated and that she has done weird gay baiting and that, right, like, we've known that it's not perfect, but now it feels like it is actually actively unsafe for the people for the exact people who have found the most comfort in it. And I I just don't, I don't know how to hold space for all of that. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let me deliver all of your answers for you and fix everything. No, it's... my gosh, I wish I could. Um, I mean, <laughs> what I will say is I'm, I'm very grateful to be speaking with you because when all this was happening and everyone started grappling with, you know, do we need to totally go to death of the author. Is that the only way that we can enjoy Harry Potter? Or how how can we enjoy Harry Potter now with everything that she is saying? And someone, and I, I can't remember who it was, it might, it might they have just texted me, uh, but they're like, well, you know, you know who might be really good at how to engage with a problematic text and still find meaning and solace from it is those folks over at Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. <laughs> I think they know a thing or two about problematic sacred texts. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the two of you might really have have some insight here 
that's a bit different than what some other people have been saying or thinking. I mean, the differences just seem more stark than the similarities, right? Because with a traditionally conceived of sacred text, a community has been treating it as sacred for generations. You're born into it, right? And so the fact that we are choosing Harry Potter, I was not born into a long tradition of my family being Harry Potter, you know, being persecuted because they love Harry Potter. I wasn't born into a family in which someone was a rabbi of Harry Potter, right? Like this is a choice I made when I was an adult and in my 30s. And therefore, that that just seems like such a big difference. One of the things that feels really clear to me for, for all of us is that you know, for some people, absolutely, it's going to be the end of a chapter with this mm-hmm. story, um, that that it's no longer the story to accompany you through life, right? For some people, it might be a real reckoning with that imperfection of the text and a real wrestling with what it means to love a story, but denounce the values of its creator. I think the one option to me that feels like impossible, like not okay, is to carry on without even questioning, right? I I think that wherever we end up, we have to struggle with this question and we have to reckon, you know, certainly as a cis person in a majority cis world, the places where I've just soaked up a cultural assumption about what gender is and what sex is. and, And because I think for many readers who read that essay, unless you have had some experience or understanding or education, a lot of it could have read as like, but this seems okay. Mm -hmm. This seems fine. And I think what I want to say, like for all of us in this community is like, we have to interrogate that. We have to listen to voices of people saying like, no, this is not okay. And, 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 And you need to understand why. Yes. And no, I love that point because I mean, you know, first of all, that's exactly what the folks espousing this transphobia were trying to do was trying to have that effect to make right. to make people be like, well, no, this sounds okay. And, you know, I will say there is one thing that I think J.K. Rowling got a little bit right in that essay, which is that a lot of people, I know, big statement, right? <laughs> I, I was like, Jack, know, where are we I going know. here? <laughs> is that she, she said something to the effect of like a lot of people were um, just jumping at her because they know that like it's societally acceptable to stand for trans mm. people without actually understanding why. And I think there's a little bit of validity there. I think there's definitely virtue signaling happening and that sort of thing. But I I think to a larger point, and I absolutely agree with you that people need to be interrogating. We all need to be constantly interrogating our own biases and where we can do better and improve and and be more compassionate humans to each other and and stand up for each other. But I think, and this is where I, I disagree with her assessment, is that I think a lot of people are just okay to love their fellow human and trust what a Mm. marginalized person's experience is and and just trust it without needing to understand. Of course, it's great if they can understand and they can engage more. Um, But just being able to be like, no, like I cannot have that experience. So I trust the person who does and I will believe them. Um, I actually, I do have a quote from um, writer Elliot DeLine that I came across again the other day and I thought I might share it here if that's all right. Please. Um, so he's he's a trans writer, and this is from one of his books of essays, I believe. It says, I find myself making excuses for this kind of bullying behavior. Not everyone has been to college, learned trans 101, studied queer theory, but this is unfair to myself and other trans people. I've come to realize that understanding me isn't a matter of being in, an intellectual. Likewise, one doesn't have to be a radical to respect my feelings. Decent people consider how their comments affect others. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, you know, when 
a lot of her problematic behavior was ramping up her being JK Rowling, the her of the whole episode. At the Harry Potter Alliance, we sort of made a decision that we were going to focus on the original series. It was like, you know, we're not going to talk about any of her revelations on Twitter, Pottermore. We're not going to focus too much even on the new movies. Like, we're going to talk about the, the, the magic and the power of the original series and of the fan community. That said, even that has been a struggle for me personally. I am not a huge rereader of the books or anything like that, but, you know, when when the lockdown started and I was so, you know, stressed and scared and having trouble sleeping, I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I'll like listen to the Harry Potter audiobooks. I listened to them nonstop as a kid. Um, And so I thought it'd be this real comforting thing to listen to. And I got out my old iPad to extract them and went through the whole thing to get them out. And then I went to bed that night and I just couldn't do it because I sort of heard her Twitter voice in my head and it just all felt tinged with all of these negative feelings. And it sucks that this thing that used to be comforting to me, it used to be healing in that way that I think is for so, so, so many people, as you said, Vanessa, um, it's not for me right now. And I, I hope that one day it will be again. But at the moment, it's not. And I I don't think that I'm alone in that. You know, as Casper was saying, a lot of people have reacted in different ways. And some people have been able to close the chapter and more power to them. Um, I have not been able to do that yet. I I would like to be able to go back to the original text, as you were saying. You know, and and to, to bring it back to other sacred texts again, like, they are in many ways, problematic. Um, I'm most familiar with the Bible. There's a lot of problematic things in that text. Uh, and it's also, you know, it's been hurtful for a lot of people out there. And it's it's been used in harmful ways against people. But a lot of people, and in some cases, those same people have found healing power in it. And so I think sort of thinking about that, of how we can wield texts in ways where, as Casper said, we continue to interrogate but we still acknowledge and accept the ways in which they are useful for us or, or, or healing, I think. One of the things that feels helpful as you draw that analogy with, with, a, with a traditional sacred text is to, to think about really what it is that the text or the story of Harry Potter is getting us to, right? Like wh- when we first read these books and we fell in love with them, at least I'll describe it for myself and other people who I know have described this feeling to me is like, it feels like a coming home to myself, right? Like mm. a, a recognizing of my experience in the world and, and sort of like things making sense in, in a way that feels like really deep, <laughs> really powerful. Yeah. And and the thing that I want to say, which is this is what happens when a, a, a text like the Bible is weaponized. It feels like what the Bible was helping people get to, that that deep, true, ultimate bit in you is also taken away. And I, and I think, that, I hope, I hope that all of us can make a distinction between the woman who had amazing, visionary, creative capacity to write this story and the the deepest part of us, the truest part of us that maybe that story helped us be in touch with. That part of us, like it never belonged to J.K. Rowling, you know? Mm. I mean, if if I was going to use religious word, I would talk about our souls and just that sense that that can never be broken, that can never be taken away. I hope that, you know, whether we continue to engage with the text or not, that we know that nothing can ever separate us from that deepest part of who we are and that deepest love that connects us all. Uh, she 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 could never even get close to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 
I think, I mean, I needed to hear that. I think a lot of other people needed to hear that, but I would, I would also say like, that's exactly what makes it so hard. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Cause you know, I, I think, you know, Harry Potter fans, cis and trans alike are feeling some pain from this, but particularly for trans people. So many of us, um, I know from my experience and from having spoken with a lot of other trans Harry Potter fans, like especially those of us in the Potter generation who are the same age as the characters growing up as the books came out. Like I imagined getting my Hogwarts letter because I wasn't yet 11 when I first read them. I imagined that characters from the book were going to show up on my doorstep and take me to the wizarding world just like they did to Harry. And I also imagined that like there was some spell where they would make me a boy, you know, like there's just a lot of the magic of Harry Potter was so inextricably tied to my identity formation and understanding of myself and having an outlet to sort of free my brain to be able to imagine those types of things. And so it's just so tightly wound together. That's part of what really, really makes it hurt is it's like this thing that helped me so much and was so much a part of that has been soiled in a way. So Jack, as we, as we wrap up at least this conversation, what do you want to leave us all thinking about? Is there something you want us to remember about this moment, about this conversation? I mean, I really like what you were saying about using this moment to interrogate the text and ourselves and sort of our, our, our biases and how as painful as this moment is and as much as we're all going to respond in different ways, the as you said, sort of the one way to not respond is to just ignore it and, and not think about it at all or, and not think about the impact of her words. I think that's the one thing we shouldn't be doing. But, you know, other than that, I just want to sort of, you know, say to all of the the trans and non-binary and agender and all non-cis people listening that, you know, I'm with you and I support you and you are valid and your feelings, whichever way they're falling, matter. And this hurts and it sucks. But, you know, we're all going to continue engaging with Harry Potter and with the community in whatever way that we can. Um, and whatever way you can is okay for you. Um, and also I would say to any cis people listening, like, don't just take my word and my impression for it. Uh, uh, there are so many other trans people who have spoken out on this. Um, Case and Calendar, who is a uh, author and huge Harry Potter fan, wrote a great article in Them and uh, Jamie Rains and his fiance Shaba posted an hour long YouTube video fact checking everything. They're doctoral researchers, so they have like amazing citations. I would check that out. Um, just keep listening and learning. And as Casper said, interrogating. Uh, it's a great moment for us to sort of learn and grow together in opposition to what J.K. Rowling is doing, which is not learning or growing. Amen. Jackson, thank you so much for coming back on the show and for sharing all of your thoughts and just always being a light and a, a mentor in what graciousness looks like. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I mean, this this has been like such a great opportunity for me to to sort of heal a little bit and think more deeply about these sorts of things, because most people are a lot of people are just saying the same thing. The press is saying the same mm. thing over and over again with this. So it's it's been a really a real privilege to go a little deeper with you. Mm, I appreciate you, Jack. Well, thank thank you. you. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So we put out a call for our trans and non-binary listeners to send us voicemails. We had no idea that we would get so many gorgeous voicemails. What you're about to hear are several voicemails that were sent in, but not all of them. And so if you want to go and listen to more voicemails like the ones that you're about to hear, go to harrypottersacredtext.com where we have created a playlist of other voicemails from trans and non-binary listeners. Usually in an OWL post, we respond to each individual voicemail, but these, we're just going to let them stand on their own. And these are just very earnest testimonies from people who are trans and non-binary and are responding to this moment. And so we don't have anything to add to how they're feeling except to say thank you so much for sending in these messages. So what you're about to hear are five voicemails, one from Ariel, one from someone who wished to remain anonymous, then one from Cody, one from Drew, and one from Lynn. So you are going to hear them uninterrupted. You'll hear a voicemail beat between them. And that's it. And you'll hear from us again at the credits. Hi, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. My name is Ariel Mahler. I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. Um, And thank you so much for taking the time to prioritize and amplify trans voices during this really wild time. Um, I've always been a huge Harry Potter fan and lover. um, So you can imagine how how heartbroken I feel, as do many of my trans siblings. So since J.K. Rowling's transphobia has been uncovered, I've been thinking about how her recent words are so directly opposed to the values present in the books. 
And I want to echo something that you said in one of your posts about how maybe she should read them. And so for this voicemail, I wanted to offer an alternative reading of the idea of blood status. Now, of course, I know that this is not a perfect metaphor, but I want to imagine that so-called pure bloods are cis people and muggle-borns are trans people. So for those of us who are muggle-born, most of us spend our childhoods being denied access to our inherent magic. Either it's ignored or invisibilized or even outright targeted, as is Harry's. Nevertheless, many muggle-borns exhibit small, subtle signs of magic from an early age. Whether it's Harry making the glass disappear in the zoo, or me sneaking into my mom's closet to dress up as Carmen Sandiego. True story. So then at a certain point, if we're lucky enough, we gain access to this magical world. One that we never even could have dreamed of. The gift of living as our true gender. If only it was that simple. But as we know, muggle-borns are systemically discriminated against in the magical world. Whether through outright violence, as displayed by Voldemort, or bullying, as displayed by Draco, or even the microaggressions of Slughorn insisting, of course I'm not prejudiced, your mother was my best student. So to be told by a fellow woman, someone with whom I'm supposed to share this community, share this identity, that my existence is not valid, that my womanhood, my femininity is a ruse or a sick disguise or a tool used by men to invade women's spaces is just so damaging and hurtful. And yet, despite all of this, we see the Hermione Grangers and the Lily Evanses and the Ted Tonkses of the world triumph and excel in all their glory. So I just want to offer a blessing to myself and all of my trans and non-binary siblings. We are valid. We are real. We contain gorgeous, beautiful, unstoppable magic. May we never let anyone else make us feel less than or gaslight us into thinking that we are the problem, that we are the oppressor. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I'll just close by saying that a few years ago, I got a tattoo across my chest that says Expecto Patronum. And for the last few weeks, I've been wondering what I should do about it. And my latest idea is that I'm going to get it covered over with the words expect our resistance. So for the JK Rowlings of the world who keep on denying us our right to existence, you can expect our resistance. Thank you. Hey, Casper and Vanessa. Conversations around how much you can separate an artist from their work are complex, and any conclusion that readers come to is the right one for them. I believe that books belong to their readers, and that the readers of Harry Potter using these stories as a common language to talk about their lives are what added the layers of nuance and complexity to the original text and made it what it is. The more readers told their stories, the more Hogwarts expanded for me. It became a place to discuss things like gender, race, ability, sexual orientation, trauma, political change, climate justice, and just so much more. When J.K. Rowling used the platform built on these stories to actively spread misinformation and advocate against the rights of my community, 
She returned Hogwarts to its original dimensions and took away my ability to engage with the books in the way needed for sacred reading. This will probably be my last episode, at least for quite a while, so I wanted to end with a blessing for Harry. Harry, you went through a lot in the seven years I spent with you. You face violent individuals and violent institutions. We see countless people try and teach you how to hate or think of others as undeserving of respect and dignity, whether that's muggles, half-giants, werewolves, or even yourself. But you never did. Thank you for showing me how to stay kind and loving in defiance of everything. You'll always be a queer icon, Harry. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. My name is Cody, and I'm from California, and I'm a trans man. Since I was nine, I've made sense of my life according to Harry Potter. I always knew I was a Gryffindor, and so that meant I was brave through everything, just like Harry. And that remained true when I went through my coming out and transition process at age 20. I'm almost 30 now, and I'm still coming to terms with how transness being left out of these stories that I've loved has made it harder for me to incorporate that part of myself into my own story and fully accept it. I've been thinking about what character I would want to read as trans in the Harry Potter books, and I think the character I'd like to read as trans is Harry. Partly because I think that trans people should get to be heroes too, not just relegated to some quirky side character. And also because I've always thought of myself as like Harry in spite of being trans, and I'm only just now coming to realize that I'm like Harry because I'm trans. Both of us were destined for a role in our lives that we didn't choose, and it took us a long time to come to accept, but we ultimately embraced as a source of our strength and connection with those we love. Harry Potter for me has never been about the author. It's always been about the community that built up around these books and the people that it's connected me to, not least of whom is my soon-to-be wife. So I wanted to say thank you to all the fans who have stood with the trans community during this time, and especially to all of you at Harry Potter and the Sacred Text for making this beautiful podcast that I love and creating this space to have this conversation. Thank you all very much, and I hope you have a great day. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Drew, and I'm calling from New York. I want to start by saying that I love this podcast and the community that has grown around it. That said, I would also like to express a frustration that I've had with the Harry Potter fan community at large for quite some time. It seems to me that every few years or months, cisgender fans of Harry Potter rediscover that J.K. Rowling is transphobic. There's outcry, there's calls to stop engaging with her work, and then it all dies down and seems to be forgotten. As a trans fan of the series, this hurts me more than J.K. Rowling's transphobia itself. I came to terms with that a long time ago, but what I haven't come to terms with is that cisgender people just seem to forget about it. It makes me feel less valued by the community, which is what I shifted my focus to when I first found out that J.K. Rowling was transphobic. In the wake of recent events, I really hope that this time the message sticks. Thank you for doing this episode and for treating our community with care. Bye. Hello, dear Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Lynn. I'm 22 and I live in Berlin in Germany. 
I am also a non-binary person and I use they, them pronouns. What I want to talk about is what Vanessa mentioned in the episode about neglect. She says that sometimes to care for something means to leave it alone and to give it a break. I feel that way when it comes to dealing with my gender identity. I've had intense moments of self-discovery and epiphanies, but I've also had extended periods of just not wanting to deal with it and not wanting to face it. And I feel that me, myself, and a lot of people in the community feel a strong pressure to make sense of our experiences immediately, even though it's not really possible to do that all the time. And we just need time to let our feelings settle. And for that, I actually want to quote my favorite book, which is Momo by Michael Ende. The story is about a little girl who discovers time or discovers her own time and she wants to share this experience but she can't and so she needs to sleep for one year and one day because the text says the words have to grow inside her first and so I want to bless everyone who is on this journey right now and who has the words growing inside them I'm sure that they will come however long it takes bye the voicemail you heard at the top of this episode was from Alicia. Thank you to everyone who submitted voicemails and asked to hear more on this topic. We got so many beautiful voicemails. We've put together a whole playlist and we really encourage you to go listen to them at harrypottersacredtext.com. And if you have thoughts on whether you think we should make a second series of this podcast, reading all the books again and how we can do it responsibly, we'd love to hear from you. We've already been listening in some of the places that we've been listening to cite our sources, JK Rowling, to learn from us a little bit. We've been listening to the amazing podcast and social media presence of The Gaily Prophet. As I've mentioned, Jack's video, How to Talk and Listen to Transgender People, is fantastic. Andrew James Carter put together an incredible Twitter thread where he goes through and debunks JK Rowling's essay point by point. As Jack mentioned, and we also took a lot from, there is a video called responding to J.K. Rowling's essay, Is It Anti-Trans? That's on YouTube. And then we also just, if you want to learn more about what it means to be trans, go to transequality.org. And there's a fantastic PDF that you can download called Understanding Transgender People. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Join our fabulous Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about the show or join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. We can't do it without you. Please leave us a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail, and from July 26th to August 2nd, we are hosting our immersive online summer camp. It's a choose-your-own-adventure, and you can join us for the whole week, just the weekend, or one of the evening live shows, which are all-in productions. All information is on the website at harrypottersacredtext.com. Just click on the big orange button. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 12, Magic is Might, through the theme of truth. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull and we are distributed by Acast. 
thank you this week to everybody who sent in a voicemail and special thanks to those of you who had a voicemail aired. We really appreciate you sending them in. Thanks, of course, to the incredible Jackson Bird for joining us in his endless wisdom. To the coalition of trans listeners who wrote to us, led by Ariel Mahler, thank you so, so much. To Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. 